Thinking aloud. Conversations on the leading edge of knowledge and discovery with psychologist Jeffrey Mishlove. Hello and welcome. I'm Jeffrey Mishlove. Today we'll be exploring psychological and spiritual awakening. With me is Annalisa Adelberg, who is the founder of the Luminous Awareness Institute in Santa Cruz, California. She is a healer, a teacher, and a longtime student of somatic, psychological, and spiritual traditions. Now, I'll switch over to the internet video. Welcome, Annalisa. It's a pleasure to be with you after having heard so much about your work from Bruce Damer. Oh, thank you so much. It's really a pleasure to be here. Yeah. I gather you're doing something very unique there in Santa Cruz. You're basically, as, as best I can tell, you're, you're combining several different approaches, a spiritual approach, a somatic approach, uh, and I, I guess I'd have to say a psychotherapeutic approach in, into one program. Yeah. It's, um, it's because of our intention. We, um, we really deeply want people not only to wake up, but we really want them uh, to embody that awakening in life. Like we want to feel that people, um, that it changes the way that they relate to themselves, that they relate to their family, how they show up in the world. And um, in my opinion, uh, spiritual practice isn't enough. You really have to integrate it with psychological work and the body and the nervous system. It's like a whole integration. Now, I had the impression uh, from my previously released conversation with Bruce that when he achieved some sort of a deep psychological breakthrough and awareness into his experience as an infant, for example, having been given up for adoption, that that triggered something in him that that opened him up more to synchronicities and that uh, your program, the Luminous Awareness Institute program, seemed to have a real handle on that process. What we do in the program is we create um, environments where people are able to process, you know, you could say deep-seated wounds or child experiences um, and they're processing them not only through their psychology, like a talk therapist would, they're, they're literally on some level re-experiencing and um, moving, you could say, the energy consciousness that got embedded at that time of life. And then as, um, as that liberates, it's like lifting a veil. Um, because really our conditioning has been created by all of these life experiences that that something happened at some point in our life. And in that moment, we started living through the filter of that experience. And those filters are actually part of what block us from experiencing more of this infinite nature, more of this um, completely resourced nature that is, that is innate to us, but often obscured. 
Often obscured. I have the sense uh, from many conversations, in fact, with uh, students of the mind-brain problem, uh, for example, that it, it's almost as if the very function of the brain is to protect us from experiencing everything all at once. Huh. Yeah, like that, that, that thinking itself is the, is the obscuration. Um, that's true that our, that our thoughts and our beliefs and the tendency to be up in the head is part of why we're not experiencing this greater, you could say, God consciousness or limitless consciousness. Um, it's, it's like we get caught in a little fixated part of ourself. And because we're caught, we're actually unaware of this incredible resource or access that we have. So that's, that's definitely one aspect of it. And then, um, but the, but the other thing is like, for instance, Bruce's memory, like most people don't remember being an infant or actually even have thoughts about what it meant to be adopted. Like the experience is recorded in a whole nother level of being, and you can't actually even find it through your thoughts or through your thinking. That's why some of the technique that we use goes beyond thoughts and beyond thinking, because the reality is, is he couldn't process that material unless we were coming into this other state of being like more awareness directly with energy because his mind doesn't remember, but his, his, his awareness and his energy do remember. And that's how we access the material that's, that's actually blocking him or was blocking. Annalisa, I understand from uh, your biography that you studied a, a very specific Tibetan practice known as Dzogchen. Yeah. Yeah, I am. Um, yes, I've, I've spent quite a bit with Dzogchen and Mahamudra, um, both of those practices. And both those practices are about like a direct pointing to awareness, you know, that that your awakened self is here. It's not something you have to cultivate. It's it doesn't come from practicing mantras. It's it's literally pointing directly to the, to that awareness that's already awake, that's already here. And um, I like it because it's a very direct path, and um, it's it's not it's it's not much caught up in culture or religion. There's not so many practices that may that may feel foreign, you know, like oh, I I need to do something that relates to a culture on a continent, you know, many years ago and far away. It's actually related to what's here right now, you know, something that could be felt right now. Interesting, because it is a, a specific practice to Tibetan Buddhism, as I understand. So I, I would have thought of it as being, you know, some exotic culture that I know there are many Tibetan centers here now in the United States, but it still originated from a faraway place. Uh, or am I mistaken? No, you're totally right. It originated from a faraway place, initially in India and then later Tibet. Um and it is, it's, kind of, it's one of the highest practices in Tibetan Buddhism. And to be honest, for a long time, it was a secret practice, not shared with Westerners. Um, and it's definitely considered a practice for people who already have a certain level of consciousness. It's like you have to have a certain level of consciousness to even recognize what's being pointed to. And earlier practices in, in Buddhism have a lot of ritual or a lot of rules, but those practices are actually designed for um, 
when you're first learning to let your mind be available or be ripe. It's like, I would say those practices are for preparing the vehicle to be able to recognize its nature. And then at a certain um, timing, there's you're ready for the direct pointing. And that actually has very little ritual or culture in it because it's, it's literally shining a light on the pure awareness that is your own. And, um, and at Luminous, I am one of the things that I feel like I'm, one of my roles is, is to translate teachings, you know, to regular people to make it feel not foreign, to make it make sense for our own Western minds. So there's that too, but, but even the practice itself, um, doesn't have a lot of ornaments. It's, it's very simplistic and very, um, yeah, it's, it's very much about what's already here. Uh, now, you use certain words in describing the practice that, uh, on the one hand, seem obvious, and on the other hand, they seem like, I'm not quite sure what she means by that. For example, you use the word spacious awareness or luminous awareness. Are those the same or are those two different things? That's a great question. So at Luminous, we actually teach seven different qualities of awareness. You know, we have a spacious awareness, embracing awareness, discriminating awareness, ground of being. There's different qualities of awareness. And um, it's it's a little complex, but it relates to uh, a whole map because spacious awareness is connected to emptiness. There's a lot of non-dual teachers who talk about our empty nature you know this boundless emptiness like without identity you know there's a a formlessness in this dimension um and in in my opinion if we stop with emptiness we can end up um a little bit empty you know it's like you can be this being that's in this deep state of peace that people can't feel you there's like a sense of almost not being there you know, it's the no self aspect. And um, that is part of our map. There's a need to, to recognize our formless nature, to recognize the, the no self. And then for us, that's not the end of the map. Um, you actually need to keep moving forward and coming in contact how emptiness is in union with fullness. You know, they say emptiness form. And so... Once you found your formless nature, then you have to understand how that nature is exquisitely in union with all of life. And so when we say luminous awareness, we're actually talking not just about the spacious aspect. We're talking about an awareness that's more like an intelligence. It's not just pure emptiness. It's how this awake emptiness is in union with all of life, with all of energy and and then becomes like an intelligence. Let me ask you this question. I, I know in going through uh, your website that uh, the program involves um, different modules and levels of awareness, and you also associate those levels with what you call superpowers, uh, and those superpowers are associated with uh, the various elements, earth, air, fire, water, wood or, or tree, and, and maybe even beyond that. So um, there, it, it's obviously a very uh, complex system. Uh, how, 
Where to start? Uh, well, let's, how do the elements fit in? Why are these elements important? And, and I presume these are like the Chinese elements. They are and they aren't. Um, so they are, we're using air, water, tree um, to point to what I call our seven wisdom qualities. So they're, again, they're the qualities of awakening. It's like there's one awakening. And then there's qualities of that awakening. So for instance, um, there's some teachers who have a lot of the quality of air, which is the spacious awareness. And that's that, that very like pristine, open emptiness. And I'm kind of shifting more into that quality right now. It's like a, people feel very serene when they're in this place. But then sometimes you'll meet a, a spiritual teacher and you can't feel their warmth. You know, they simply feel like, like presence in space. And so water is another one of the qualities. And that's more the compassion aspect of, of awareness. So it's not only spacious. There's also like a quality of love or unconditional embrace. And then that has a warmth and a fullness to it. Um, so each one of those qualities, and it's so complex because there's seven, um, is a quality of awakening. And then a natural outcome of these qualities are what we call the superpowers. And um, because at Luminous, we're focusing on awareness, but we're also focusing how awareness and energy are in union with each other. And so it's not just awareness. It's also this all pervasive energy. And when you have awareness with energy, suddenly you have unusual capacities, things that appear to others like superpowers. I want to say that, there are natural capacities that are obscured. So it's not about like getting a power. It's about when we're in our natural state of awareness, how we would be, how, and in my, in my heart's wish, it's how the world would be when more of us here are awakened. It's, it's our natural capacity to feel and attune to each other at this, what other people might call like a heightened level. So I'll give you, a, for instance, um, Spacious awareness, it's a uh, superpower, that's air, um, is the ability to, to have non-local awareness. So people think it's so unusual that I can, in a room, feel what someone else is feeling across the space. You know, I can feel the movement of emotion in their body. Um, and that would seem like a crazy, magical superpower. Um, but what I... For me, that's actually just life. Like it's always, it's been that way a long time. And um, it's part of uh, interconnectedness. It's part of the truth that there is no one out there, that we're in this one space that we share together. And that when we're not obscured into our heads and into our ordinary minds, it's natural that we're actually feeling our interconnectedness. And there's many people who, who ha are having this experience. They just don't know what to do with it. Um, so part of Luminous is helping uncover our natural capacities that can seem superhuman um, and then helping people understand how to work with them because some people are having these experiences and don't know what they mean or, or how to have them in a way that feels, you know, really safe and good. So, so the capacities associated with each 
of, of these elements, you also point out that they can become distorted, that people can have the, the positive quality of air, but also a distorted quality, which can get individuals into trouble. Yeah, so, so it's like who we are in our essence is this bright, awakened being. And then as, as that bright awakening is obscured by conditioning, by all of these life experiences and ways that were reflected, um, it's like the sun is now dimmed. And, and um, when it's really dim, it's like now we're caught in a distortion. So, so for instance, in air, in its brightest quality, it's that spacious, open, bright, knowing awareness that's non-local, boundless awareness. Um, but as it distorts, it could be spacey, you know, like this, these people who feel ungrounded, who don't feel like they're actually here. They're a little dissociated from their bodies, maybe literally floating above their bodies. So that's a person who has some of the gift, the natural tendency to have access to air but they're living in its distortion. So instead of a bright, clear awareness that's present and crisp and aware of everything, they're hypersensitive, they're out of their bodies, they're feeling affected and over-affected by everything. Um, and so that's, that's when it's living in its distortion. So there's, a, there's an essence underneath it that we help people uncover and then we help heal that which is distorting it. And I presume from from what I've seen that you have sort of a typology that some people are more oriented towards one element or another element and that their particular gifts uh, that you call superpowers. I think we're really talking ab- about what the uh, Yoga Sutras refer to as the cities, I, I should imagine, which are, are vast. But those gifts are unique because their personality might be inclined to one or another of the elements. Yeah, it's complex because on one level, there, there's one awakening and we are one. So there's a non-uniqueness there. Right. Like on some level, you and I share one heart, one awareness. There's nothing unique about us. And I also feel that we come in with an energetic constitution. And to me, that energetic constitution has something to do with like our purpose here. Like like it's beautiful that on one level we're one. And then on another level, it's like each of us have unique gifts that have something to do with how we came to serve. And so when you come to Luminous, part of the reason we have these seven qualities, it actually came from teaching that these that I learned about the seven qualities. I noticed that people were really unique and that pointing to awakening in one way didn't work for a certain person and really worked for another. And I started to notice that actually people had these unique constitutions and, and not only were they unique in what they needed to, to, have, an, to have the pointing out instructions, like designed for them, but they had unique gifts. You know, like I, for instance, um, have a lot of access to this quality we call fire. And fire and, and the awake level, it's the dynamic aspect of awareness. It's like the aliveness, the energy. The shakti would be a word that maybe a lot of people know. And so because I have a lot of access to shakti, one of my superpowers is I can go near people and I can activate their dynamism. Like I can literally activate that alive, intelligent energy in their body and help shift them towards awakening. 
And that's, that's something that comes just from my natural tendency to be more connected to this dynamic aspect of awakening. Um, and another being maybe more like a quality of earth. And, and that has a lot to do with deep presence. You know, it's, it's almost the opposite because it's, it's this stable, unbending presence that's, you know, withness. Um, and that itself, like, like that grounded presence can offer such a deep gift to other beings, like really allowing their own intelligence to emerge as it does naturally. And so it's like getting that each, it's really fun. It's a little bit like being like having the X-Men, you know, like all the people come and we're like, oh, these are your particular superpowers. So we help people know themselves and cultivate what's unique to them. So they, they really get reflected in their own natural gifts. I also noticed that uh, when you describe uh, the cultivation of these superpowers, you use a, an interesting word there. You, you use the word bending, like bending air, bending water is how one, uh, I presume, activates these powers. Yeah. Now, to, to be honest, that, came, that word came out for a couple of reasons. So one, there's a cartoon and it's called The Last Airbender. And it's a very cute cartoon that plays with spiritual things. And part of why I chose Bender is I, and the cartoon as a um, model is I wanted, I was a little worried about people thinking that they had cities. If I use the word cities, I thought there was going to be a hell of a lot of self-importance in the room or what I call specialitis. And um, we're, it's very, very deeply important to me that everything we're cultivating is actually cultivated in service to the well-being of all beings. And so I didn't want to create a bunch of hubris, like, oh, I have cities. And so what I did is I made it lighthearted and, and you know, compared it to this cartoon and called it, you know, oh, airbending, firebending. You know, I want, wanted to bring a little bit of play into the environment. And so that's actually where that came from, was, was a desire to bring lightheartedness to it. Oh, Okay. That makes perfect sense. It is lighthearted. Uh, but does it have a particular meaning? If I'm bending air, what am I doing? Right. Well, as I was saying, so airbending is that ability to, I call it track non-locally, which means I can send my awareness anywhere. Like, you know, here we are in an interview and I could send my awareness to where you're located, even though it's not in the room with me and directly know, you know, things about you. So that's, that's, Airs, air bending, that's what that power is. Um, uh, fire bending, I just mentioned, that's the capacity to, um, to help energy move. You know, it's the ability, it, it's like um, a magnifying of energy in space. Um, crystal bending, that's related to the knowing aspect of awareness. So it's the ability to directly know. You know, like many of us, um, I think people have this experience. I was just talking to a nurse the other day and she said that when she was in the hospital, people would go into these really heightened states. And all of a sudden she said that she would feel like she was everywhere in the room and that she knew exactly what to say and she knew exactly what to do. So that knowing that knows what to do, that knows um, what's needed to be said or knows things that maybe your normal mind doesn't know it just suddenly 
starts occurring, that's called crystal bending. It's the ability to have direct knowing. Now, now let me ask you this question. I'm, I'm really not a uh, advanced student of, of Buddhism at all, but I've heard of the Diamond Sutra. And uh, when you use that term crystal bending, I'm wondering, is, is it in some way related to the idea of the Diamond Sutra, the crystal clear diamond mind? Yes, it is. So, um, in Chris, with Crystal, we talk about clear heart mind, and it's it's the dimension of us that is unconditioned. It's this beautiful, clear dimension that is free of all of our conditioning, and and that's that's where the knowing comes from. It's like you have to drop beneath the conditioned mind and the thought based mind into this clear heart mind, and from there. It's, it's pure and direct, knows already by itself. Yeah. And then the other thing that I like that's crystal or diamond-like about it is, um, like, in this moment, you could have one perspective, you know, from where you're sitting. And, you know, you know what you think. And I could have my perspective. So now we have two perspectives in the space. Um, and it, with a diamond, it's multifaceted. And actually there's multiple perspectives all happening at once. So like a more ordinary consciousness sits in its individual perspective and knows just what it knows. But as we get into our crystal mind, our diamond like mind, suddenly all the facets of the diamond, all the perspectives at once become clear. And so it's the ability to hold multiple perspectives. It's ability to, to view from that dimension of mind that isn't bound just by what I learned, you know, as I was growing up or what I learned from my culture. Now, I know we could talk for a long time about the theory of uh, behind the work that you do, but before we began the interview, you uh, offered to play with me a little bit and share with me at an experiential level some, some of the things you do, and I wonder if I could play with you a little bit. <laughs> now that we've uh, been talking to each other for a while, uh, because we're having this conversation now. We're separated by, I imagine, about a thousand miles between Santa Cruz and Albuquerque. But uh, at the same time, this is a video that will be viewed by thousands of people actually, and over an extended period of time as well. So I'm wondering now, uh, are you able to feel that audience that doesn't even exist yet in the present moment, but uh, across time is already there? Well, I loved your question because basically it became a pointing out. As you, as you spoke, I began to move my awareness to feel you and then to feel all those beings. Yeah. And the, Immediately, it's like including all of them, you know, interconnected through my heart. Yeah. So, yes, I can um, move my awareness into connecting with them. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I, I would imagine that even in the act of connecting and becoming aware, there's also a certain maybe intention because you've already expressed that your, your work is based on, uh, I think you, the phrase you used is, is the well-being of all people. Yeah. 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 I mean, Luminous's deepest intention is for enlightenment. And, um, and for me, that's an enlightenment through the heart as well. And my, one of my deepest intentions is that if enough of us can wake up here, 
on this planet that will shift the way that we that we live, that will shift the way we treat all the beings on this planet. I, I literally feel like we could change the way it is on planet Earth into like a flourishing life. Um, so yeah, what, anytime I do my work, it's like I go into the essence of my own heart and I connect to that essence in other people's hearts. And I, because ultimately, no matter what our conditioning, it's like we share one heart. So what I'm wanting to do is like ring a bell, like ring a bell that's inside of me and inside of everyone so that we can, that we can really wake up to our heart's deepest intent, you know, cause it's so easy to get caught in modern day and busyness and, and, and if, if enough of us really started to wake up and direct ourselves from this place, I just imagine we could create a world that would, that would really t wipe out so much suffering and, and bring a, a real flourishing here. When you say ring a bell, I get the impression you mean like resonating, that you're resonating. You have a certain vibration that is now vibrating across space and time to uh, connect with uh, thousands of people who are viewing this. Yeah, the way it feels to me is there's one interconnected field, and you could say energy is the substance by which we signal each other. You know, awareness is that which recognizes, but energy is, is this, it's, it's like the substance that which, you know, instead of having wires and cords, there's literally like a substance that interconnects us. And as we, um, as we connect uh, heart to heart, it doesn't matter if it's at a distance, you know, because there's this one ocean of energy that we're all a part of. What comes up for me is is this the the idea that we could create a better world uh, throughout history. There have been enlightened spiritual teachers, I think, going back for thousands of years. And I suppose you could say, yes, there's been a kind of human progress since then. But it's hard to say the world is really better. In many ways, the world is much worse. And uh, one wonders if if all of the great enlightened beings and teachers of the past have only been able to get us as far as we are now, which is, some people would say, at the precipice of global destruction. Uh, how, how are we to improve on that? <laughs> well, I think the old model, there was one teacher, like one guru, and then everyone was supposed to listen to them or go through them for their spiritual knowledge. And Right now, at this point in time, what we need is is a collective teacher. You know, there, there's this idea that um, they talk about Maitreya, which is the Buddha of the future. And Maitreya is actually pointing west, which means there was a prediction by the Buddha that um, Buddhas would arise in the west in this period. And what I think is happening now is we can't have one spiritual teacher at a time. We need to recognize that the guru right now is the collective that we actually have a responsibility within each of us and within the collective. It's, it's like, the, you know, there's something I've always noticed about change. Like sometimes you have to be on the edge of a cliff before there's a willingness to change. So here we are, you know, facing that destruction, facing so much intensity. And in a sense that, that brings us to a call that, that actually, brings a whole collective into this 
urgency of, of like now, not tomorrow. We can't put this off anymore. And I do think in the past, you know, we've had one great spiritual teacher, another great spiritual teacher. I really think at this moment, it's, it's, it's the collective guru. It's, it, and that's why Luminous, like, I don't think of myself as, oh, I'm the guru and sit beneath me. It's, it's very much about teaching people that, that what we're pointing to is them. And that we, at Luminous, we do something called group field. So we, we talk a lot about how the collective is the vehicle and how each person is in the room is responsible for generating that vehicle together. So we create a group field and through that group field, we, we accelerate each other's awakening. Like we lift each other up. And that's, that's actually what I feel like what we need now is we need people who understand not just how to sit on a meditation pillow and wake themselves up by themselves. It's, we don't have time for that anymore. We need to get in groups of people and we need to feel our power as a collective and feel how when we unite our awareness and our heart intent and feel this collective energy that we generate, that we actually have great power that way. And that's what we need. We need great power. We don't need one person. We don't need a hundred. We need thousands. And, and you're right, not everybody on this planet is ready to awaken right now, but we don't need everybody. We need enough people. You know, we need enough people to tip a scale. Like Ken Wilber talks about that, that we need enough people in second tier consciousness. And if enough people move into this higher second tier consciousness, the entire face of the planet will change. And so that's what this is a call for. That's why I'm on podcasts right now because it's not enough to do even a hundred people at a time we need thousands of people learning how to unite their collective awareness so that we can unite that power and shift what's happening on the planet and it really does need to be collective yeah yeah well you've used that word collective many times and uh, i i know amongst the viewers and people who comment because uh, we get a lot of comments from viewers for each video there's a certain small but very vocal group of people who uh, are very much afraid of that word collectivism collective they they think of it as as somebody is going to force a new world order down their throat or or, or, or something, and, and, and they don't want to be part of any collective. Uh, uh, and typically they're associated with all these nationalist politics who reject internationalism and globalism. And uh, I tend to be inclined to think that if we're ever going to face the, the problems on this planet, we have to act as, as a planetary culture, not as individual nations. Uh, Maybe I'm getting a little more political than you intended, but but these are issues that come up. Yeah, and I think I totally understand what those people are afraid of. And what we're talking about is like dominant-based hierarchies, you know, where the, where the hierarchy and the dominance isn't heart-centered. It's not here to serve other beings. It's, it's here to serve its agenda and itself. And so you're right. I mean, we've seen horrible things happen with collectives. We've seen fascist regimes, you know, that have harmed, you know, thousands of people. So I understand why they're feeling afraid, because there's a fear of that distorted, dominant-based, um, you know, like, let's, let's enforce our way on others. Um, and that's the thing is, we have to make distinction. Do we want 
to throw out the baby in the bathwater. Like, because we don't want dominance that is misattuned to other people's needs, you know, in a way that it's, that it's barreling over other people's needs and desires. But do we want to then throw out what's useful about unified people? You know, because it's, it's like a sword. A sword could be used to harm someone or protect. And the question is, is a collective could be used to harm or a collective that's unified could be used to preserve the planet. And the question is, is what's the intention of that collective and how can they direct themselves in service to all beings, not, not just to their own agenda? And I, and I get that that's complex, like who gets to decide what's in service. But I do think as we, as we become like this clear heart mind, like it's, it's not just in the heart, but it is from the heart. It's like heart and mind come together. There's a way what we can do is oriented to people's well-being. You know, that can be a compass. Like, how do we support life here and flourishing for everyone? I uh, gather that you're a healer, and I am assuming that you've probably been a healer since uh, childhood. Um, yeah, I would say I had a certain kind of awareness since I was really young. And, you know, like a sensitivity and a connectedness. Um, and at this point, I'm starting to take the word healer out of how, how I refer to myself, even though I still do say that sometimes. I really think of it as co-awakening. Like, I don't feel like I'm doing something to someone. It's, it's more like I'm, I'm helping them discover themselves. You know, it's, it's more about pointing to what they need to find. Um, so that their own system and their own natural intelligence can liberate themselves. You know, so it's, it's not so much about what I do to someone as a healer, but how I show up and support a being and mirror them in certain ways until their own system's natural intelligence, I call it self-liberating, like liberates itself. We seem to be living at a, at a point in time where a lot of the um, dark side of certainly the American psyche is, is coming up to the fore. We see uh, at the border children being separated from their parents. We see uh, in politics a lot of name-calling, uh, a lot of disparaging of, of the humanity of people who are uh, in disagreement with us on political issues. Uh, I, I suppose to put the best face on it that uh, when the dark side becomes so in your face that that means that it, it can be healed that there's a, an opportunity to really address things that have been overlooked for a long time like perhaps racism uh, how do you feel about that yeah that's why our program doesn't isn't just a spiritual program um, we're very much about addressing the shadow in people and bringing awareness to all these parts of ourselves. You know, the more and more I go into working with people, um, what I see is that inside of us, we tend to have a part that is protective. You know, it may, it may appear like a persecutor, um, but typically it got generated from some need to protect ourselves. And then underneath it, we typically have a part that's deeply vulnerable that for some of us is even out of view from ourself. But it's like within us, there are these deeply vulnerable parts and then these protective parts. And they're often playing out and projecting on the world and they create all of these dynamics, you know, where we go 
where we've created these parts of ourselves that we think are us um, that become like characters, you know, they're, they're protective parts. So part of the work in Luminous is to really illuminate where they are and to see how they turn into these dynamics within ourselves and then turn into power dynamics um, outside of us. So, so I think what you're saying is, is at, at the social, at the sociological level, that this is an opportunity for uh, positive change. So on the one hand, it's like there's the personal work that people have to do. And then that's also at Luminous, we're working in large groups. So we're really working with not only what, what's within yourself, but what's in the dynamics you have with people. Um, but we have to look at it on every level because... These are happening, um, you know, as you said, for instance, racism, like that's, that's not just happening on, on an individual level, that's happening on a social level. So we do talk about that at Luminous as well, like how do we address this, not only in our personal sphere, not only in our relational sphere, but how do we, how do we address this in our social spheres? So yeah, there's a, there's a lot to work with there. You know, it's, it's amazing on some level, we're pointing to this aspect of self that's so beautiful, already clear, already awake. And simultaneous to that, there's a lot of cleaning up that has to happen. There's so many parts of us that have really gotten strongly conditioned in us and they're running the show. And as you, if you look at our political sphere, as you look at what's happening, that's what I see is I see a bunch of people who've gotten really identified with those defensive parts of themselves and they're running the show. And that's why we see so much pain and suffering happening is, is that identification with these, you know, less developed, more defensive parts of ourselves. Mm-hmm. In, in other words, I, I guess coming back to what you said earlier, so much of the uh, cruelty of the uh, American population, which is on evidence for the whole world to see, uh, is, is really coming out of a desire for self-protection. Yeah, and it, and it won't even feel like that. That's the thing is sometimes these protective aspects of us got generated so young that we don't even know they're there. Um, it's like the identity that got generated at that life starts to become the mini-me that we didn't realize um, took over. And the agendas of those more protective younger parts, um, we think they're true, you know, like... Like maybe, maybe when I was young, I thought the only way to be loved here is to be beautiful. And so that part of me takes over and then I spend a huge amount of my energy, a huge amount of my resources um, attempting to get love. And I actually think it's real. And the more and more time and energy I invest in that, like the less time and energy I have for actual presence or interconnectedness. Um, you know, that's, that's like a light example. There's people who have much more intense parts, you know, people who, you know, have certain drives and, um, you know, that again, if you, if you really dig into the roots of it, it always goes back to some moment where they felt deeply undermined by their father or humiliated by their fellow students, you know, but, but people, people, in order to avoid the pain of that experience will generate something on top of it. So they don't even know the pain is there. They're just living from the thing that's on top of it. 
it's kind of a sad state. Well, the average person viewing, for example, this video is not going to be uh, available or maybe even able to enroll in a program like like your two-year uh, program that you offer. Uh, how are they to break through? <laughs> That's a great question. Um, well, there's a lot of different practices that point to this awakened nature. And so this is one piece of it. It's actually really, really important. I find that working with my psychology without access to this infinitely resourceful part of myself, it feels like like Sisyphus, like rolling a ball up a hill and the ball rolls back down. <laughs> you know, like not yeah. So even though, you know, I grew up around psychology, both my parents are PhD therapists and I grew up in that world it really wasn't until I started to access more of these awakened states that that everything lightened. You know, it, it didn't take everything away, but it took my ability to look at those parts of myself and be less identified and them to have less grab. It really, really changed the playing field. So that's one, one deep, one really important ingredient is find a method that helps you get beyond your ordinary self, beyond your limited mind, like get tastes of this more infinite nature. You know, it's, it's, it's important. There's all sorts of um, books and teachers and things that are pointing to that. Um, and then the other thing is for those who do that, for those who are meditating a lot and getting these tastes, if you're having that experience where you get into these beautiful states of being on your meditation pillow, and then you like turn around and yell at your husband or your wife. I just want to remind people that that's, it's not enough. You know, that, that beyond doing the meditation practices, beyond beginning to glimpse your, your true nature and learn how to stabilize that, there's also a need to do the personal work, however you do that. You know, there's all sorts of um, wonderful psychological systems in in Luminous, we, we work with internal family systems. That's Dick Schwartz's work. Um, you know, we work with character styles. Uh, you know, there's, there's lots of different ways to work on these parts of ourselves. And it, it is deeply important. Good advice. And uh, I, <laughs> I, I really, I would love to in, encourage our viewers, you know, do a little bit more. The whole world is depending on you. <laughs> Although I tend to think that uh, we're in a kind of paradoxical situation because there are urgent needs that need to be addressed, but uh, because they're urgent or, or calling them urgent isn't necessarily going to help anybody in their own personal evolution. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah. I would say it's worth doing some of the, the personal work, like for instance, meditating an hour a day, because even though there's a lot that needs to be done, we want to do that from our greater intelligence. You know, when our little ordinary parts and our managers are running around, you know, we're, we've got a limited capacity. And then as we shift into some of these greater levels of mind, there's like an effortlessness. There's a whole different level of intelligence that comes online that can help guide guide the unfolding of events, you know, so, so it, it is worth even under these urgent conditions doing the work so that we're actually 
moving from a greater self because even you know I was an activist. I did a I did a lot of um, promoting alternative transportation and and things like that. And something I saw in the activist community is that a lot of people were doing activism from a part that was actually usually separating them from other people. You know, they weren't they they were so much in a I'm going to save the world that they weren't able to connect with others. They weren't able to convince others. Um, it's really important that we. We see what part of us, you know, what aspect of us is doing that activism? Where are we doing it from? I personally think because there's this interconnected field of awakened energy that if we shift into this greater intelligence, it's it's like now we have now we can affect waves in a huge ocean. You know, we're not making a little ripple just right here, you know, from our little mind consciousness. We're actually we're having much bigger impact. You know, there is something, I personally believe there's something greater that is unfolding this. And we want to be in, in sync with that. We want to feel like we're moving with a greater intelligence so that, so that that's something greater is moving us, you know, and we'll have much more impact from that place. Well, Annalisa Adelberg, this has been a delightful discussion. I'm I'm very happy to uh, have had this time with you, uh, and I'd like to uh, invite you uh, again anytime you like uh, to be on the uh, New Thinking Aloud channel. It's been a, a real pleasure. Yeah, thank you so much. I really appreciate the invitation and all of your inquiry, and thank you very much. You are so welcome. Mm-hmm.